0: Welcome back everyone as we continue our studies in the Torah. And this week we begin the book of Devarim, uh, which means words. It's the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, before we get started, I just want to give you a heads up that things might be a little bit different today. And the reason for that is uh, Robin and I have been traveling for the last 10 days and just got home last evening around eight or nine o'clock. And uh, But we had an amazing time, a wonderful time. And the first part of our travels and uh, we're in Texas and Eastern Texas and Mount mm-hmm. Vernon and we are visiting a place called Hope Ranch which was um, the, re- the product of a, a vision that God gave Catherine Lee and maybe some of you have read her book, Interrupted the Joy and Mystery of a God-Directed Life. It's, uh, I got to read the book while I was there at the ranch. And God provided this beautiful 1,000-acre ranch uh, for the purpose of helping young women who are rescued from human trafficking. And to see the work that's being done there is truly inspiring and wonderful, miraculous. And uh, so I encourage you to read the book. It was, uh, it was quite an experience for us, a life-changing experience for Robin and myself, both. And then <clears throat> after leaving eastern Texas, we drove on to uh, Fort Worth where we spent several days with our, our oldest son and his family. Wonderful time, but I'm a little, uh, little road weary. Um, I, I, I would like to chalk it up to jet lag. It's only one, one hour difference in time, but I guess I'm hypersensitive to jet lag. But uh, I do have something prepared for you today as we look at the first Parsha of Devarim. But if I had my way, um, but what I would love to be able to do this morning is just to have six or eight people here sitting in a circle with me and just discussing the portion. And, um, but unfortunately, there's just me and, and David, who's in the te- tech room, and you. I have to imagine you listening to this and the questions you might pose and the insights you might share. But this Torah portion, which is from the first verse of Deuteronomy up to chapter 3, verse 22, is such an amazing portion. And as I've just been chewing on it over the last uh, couple of weeks, um, I've come to believe that just about everything you and I need to walk out the spiritual life, To walk out a victorious life is found in these three chapters. It's truly quite amazing. And you know, the setting for this is that Moses is there. He's led the people of Israel for 40 years. And he's on the shore of the Jordan River. And just right across there, you could almost touch it, is the land of promise. The goal. The place they had been Struggling and <clears throat> and um, and suffering to reach over all this time, and there it is. Moses is 120 years old. And there's nothing he would like more than be able to cross over with the children of Israel into the land, but God has told him he can't do that. And so here in the book of Deuteronomy, Devarim, Moses is pouring out his heart to these these Israelites whom he's come to love and who he's suffered with and who he's led and for all these years who he's uh, wept over and prayed over and, and uh, had exercised a lot of with, patience with and he just wants to pour his heart out it's almost uh, like when your children go off to college or leaving home and um, you just want to give them all this last minute advice so they do well And Moses wants the Israelites to do well, even though when we get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, he reveals the fact that he knows that they will not. But he still is encouraging them. He wants them to do well. And he knows that at the end of time, eventually, they will be successful. And you know, I'm no Moses. I'm not 120 years old yet, and I haven't been leading a congregation for four years, but I've been leading a small one for 25. And uh, I have a, a little inkling of what Moses must have felt when he was speaking the words of Deuteronomy, because I just want more than anything in the world to see Beth do well, to succeed, to continue on, to thrive and prosper, and become fruitful and to grow become stronger and more courageous. And um, so over these next 11 months, you'll probably hear that appeal in my voice and see it in my eyes as I go through the Torah with you this one last time. I just want more than anything else to see the souls that make up Beth and the souls who, who are around the world, who have, see themselves as part of this ministry and this congregation to see you grow and really do well. Now, <clears throat> the book of Deuteronomy is quoted more than any other book of the Torah in the apostolic scriptures. More than 80 times the book of Deuteronomy is quoted in the Gospels and in Paul's writings and throughout the, the New Testament scriptures. And Devarim, Deuteronomy, is sometimes called by the sages Mishneh Torah, or the repetition of the Torah. Because Moses reviews so many of the events that have taken place in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And he reviews many of the laws and adds 70 new laws in this book. So the entire book is Moses speaking. And whether this, uh, this oration of Moses took place over a period of a few days or a week or a month, we don't know. But... Um, It's almost like one long speech, and then at the very end, he goes up to Mount Nebo and dies. So, there's something you really need to keep in mind, and I hope I can express this to you, to set the tone for how we're going to go through Devarim, especially this first portion of Devarim. And it's this, everything about this book it's about preparing the people to go into the land, the land of Canaan. And we, uh, living in the 21st century in the West, uh, we need to have the right mindset about this. Because you might think, well, I'm not going to Israel, I'm going to the land of Canaan to live, and how does this apply to me? What we have to understand is that the land, and when I write the land, I capitalize it, the land. The land is a picture of the spiritual life. It's a land that is a picture of what it's like to live a victorious life with God. And this is what God wants for every single one of us. And as you read about the struggles Israel had to go through to become a people who were capable of entering the land and of remaining there you're reading about the struggles you and I have to enter this land that is described by the commandments of the Torah, the land where God's kingdom, his kingdom rules reign, the land where his home is found, where the temple is found as a place of fruitfulness, a place of victory, a place of holiness and of righteousness. And all the 40 years, that have gone into bringing Israel to this point where they're ready to cross is a picture of all the struggles and the preparations you and I have to go through before we can enter this standard, this level of a spiritual life. And one of the reasons I shared Catherine's book with you interrupted the joy and mystery of a God-directed life is because meeting her and her husband I I see two people who know what it's like to live in the land. I don't think either of them have actually been physically to Israel. But they know what it's like to live in this land of great adventure where there's a mystery to it and there's a joy about it. And there's an unknown that is always just over the horizon. And there's an excitement to go forward and to live with God, to serve him and to watch him work through our daily lives. That's what I want. And I feel like one of the spies who's been in the land just long enough to come back and tell you about it and say, come on, let's go in. It's wonderful. It's look at the fruit. Look at the beauty of this place that flows with milk and honey. And let's go in together. Let's conquer this and let's be the kind of people who God allows into his land. I made a list of what kind of people can live in the land. And these are the, some of the things that come to mind. They have to be a redeemed people. The people who went into the land of promise were people who came out of Egypt. They'd been redeemed by the blood and the body of the Lamb. And uh, they had been rescued from slavery and from death by God himself. You have to be a redeemed people. Unredeemed people, there's no place for them in the land. They were a tested people. Early on, God says that he sent them the manna, not just to feed them, but to test them, to see if they'd be obedient. And he gave them rules concerning this nourishing bread from heaven. And he sent it to test them. Only a tested people. People who are tested and passed the test can go into this land. They were a Torah people. He took them to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And, um, and there they spent about a year where God gave them the foundation of his Torah. He made a covenant with them and they built a tabernacle so God's presence could live right in their midst. That was something ordained by God for them to do. And uh, so they were people who had received the Torah. They had not given themselves completely to the Torah yet. It would take another 40 years for them to become a people who were, were committed and loyal to the Torah. But the Torah had been given to them. They were a broken people. We have to understand something about the wilderness. The purpose of the wilderness is for us to die. Only a people who have truly died to self and have tapped into the new life that's available only through walking with God, the new life that comes through Messiah, only those people can enter the land and stay there. And there's a lot in every single one of us that needs to die. And the wilderness is the place where this happens. The wilderness is a place of graveyards and also of new birth. It's a place of failures, but also of lessons learned. It's a place of defeats, but also of victories. It's a place where a slave people learns to live as a free people. And this comes only through time and suffering and pain. And only a broken people, those who know what it's like, to fall to suffer and to die are the kinds of people who God will welcome in to his land but they had to be a courageous people and the people who came out of of Egypt were not courageous at all they were faithless they were weak they were fickle uh, they operated completely according to the principle of pain avoidance they all so consumed with avoiding discomfort, they were incapable of simply obeying God regardless of the cost. We have to be a courageous people. There's no room in the land of promise for people who are cowardly. We have to be courageous. We have to be brave and fearless. It's for a faithful and trusting people, people who have faith that God can and will do what he's promised. And that he has your and my best interest at heart. That he truly loves us. And whatever we think is best for us is never as good as what God knows is best for us. Because he always has our best in mind when he directs our steps. And it's a place for a victorious people. The people have just come off of this victorious battle against Sichon and Og which is an event that's mentioned 10 times in the Torah, often in great detail. In fact, it's mentioned in the first three chapters of this Torah portion. The The battle against Sihon and Og is a huge deal in the Bible. It's mentioned more times than the parting of the Red Sea or the, the leaving of, of Egypt. It's mentioned more often than so many of the things that we think are the major themes and are major themes But few of them compare and rise to the level of this particular victory. And you may think, well, why haven't I heard about this so much? How come it's not taught on? Well, that's a good question. I believe the teaching about Sihon and Og, what they represent and our victory over them, is so important that the enemy has done everything he can to blind our minds and to keep this teaching and these principles out of them. So we're going to go over them again, just briefly again this morning. But on the list, you won't see a perfect people. None of us are perfect. We're to be mature, but we are not flawless people. And, um, and that's okay. God knows what we're capable of, and he wants us to arise to our fullest potential. And we must remain these kinds of people that you see on the screen if we want to remain in the land of promise. We have to believe His promises if we're going to live in the land of promise. And we have to be people of holiness if we're going to live in the holy land. And we have to be a fruitful people if we're going to stay in a land that flows with milk and honey. so. We see the warnings in Scripture about how the land will vomit the people out. The land will just spew the people out if they do not remain this. If they won't remain strong and fearless and faithful and trusting and broken, um, if they won't remain that, the land will just push them out. So, entering the land and remaining the land requires our vigilance on our utter devotion to God. And if we will do that, we'll discover the mystery and the joy and, the, and, the, and the, the, the abundant life that God wants for us at this level of faith, at this level of living life. So, without further ado, let's get right into our, our teaching. And what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read some some bits of Deuteronomy and then share with you an insight or two that, that just stood out to me this time going through the portion. So, Deuteronomy, Devarim, chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel on the other side of the Jordan, on the eastern side, concerning the wilderness, concerning the Arabah, opposite the Sea of Reeds, between Paran and Tophel, and Levan and Chazerot, and Dezahav. Now, the, the sages say that these names, I think there's about six of them here, that these names are actually code words for testings and failures and, and some really painful experiences over the 40 years. Now, that may be, uh, or not, but that's something you can look into. Verse 2, 11 days from Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Let that sink in for a moment. From Mount Sinai to the Jordan where they are now is an 11-day journey. 11 days. Not 11 years, 11 days. But because of their unbelief, their faithlessness, their cowardice, they stretch those 11 days into 40 years. There's a powerful principle here for us. God has an abundant life available for you, but only until you become truly courageous and trustworthy, and you believe in him and have faith in him, and you're willing to follow him, that short journey to abundant life can be stretched into years. Many believers never experience abundant life. They experience the redemption from Egypt, but they never experience the abundant life of the land because they never make it through the wilderness. But an 11-day journey became 40 years. Verse 3, it was in the 40th year, in the eleventh month, on the first of the month, when Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to everything that Adonai commanded to them, him to them, after he had smitten Sichon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Cheshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt in Ashtarot in Edre. And there we have it. Four verses into the book. He's once again going back to this victory over Sihon and Og. Why is this so important? Let's review just for a moment. If this is the Jordan River and the people are coming from the wilderness crossing Jordan River to come into the promised land, right here on the eastern bank of the Jordan River is where Sihon in the south and Og in the north were like the protectors and to get in to the land of promise, you had to get through them. And that's the same way it is with us today. No one enters the truly abundant life. No one enters the land of promise till they conquer Sichon and Og. Now, who are these guys? Well, if you remember from our study back in Numbers, and twice in Numbers, it's referring to this battle and detailing it. Sihon is a picture of human reasoning. Sihon's name means to sweep away. And we use our human reasoning all the time to sweep away the nonsense of the scriptures, the nonsense of living by faith, the nonsense of uh, the miracles of the Bible. And you know, you hear the word world all the time denigrating the, the Word of God, and they just sweep it away because their intellect is so powerful that um, none of these things could really happen. That's old, it's outdated, it's outmoded, and you're foolish to believe in it. Just whew, sweep it away because I'm so educated and so intelligent. Og, on the other hand, means round cake. And everything about Og is a picture of the addiction to comfort and ease. Let me read that verse again, but this time, instead of reading the names, I'll read what the names mean in their place. Verse 4. After he had smitten, sweeping away, king of the talkers, who dwelt in thinking, and Og, the round cake, king of ease, who dwelt in the good pastures in the valley, on the other side of Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began explaining this Torah saying, and we went through this before, human reasoning and addiction to comfort are the two greatest enemies to walking in faith with God. And these two enemies are very much connected to one another because when we receive instruction from God as to something He wants us to do, a change He makes, wants us to make in our lives, the first thing we do, almost faster than thought, is, I don't like the idea of that because it sounds uncomfortable. I don't want to do that because it sounds difficult. And immediately, Sihon comes to our rescue to explain to us, yes, it is too difficult. Yes, that, is, that doesn't make common sense. No, that's probably not really what God wants. Would he ever ask you to do something that would make you so uncomfortable, something so dangerous? And so these two reinforce one another. These two kings ruled the same people at the same time together, the Amorites. And they were so entwined, just as our human reasoning and our addiction to comfort and ease are so intertwined. And then when you weave in your own ego with that, where we take pride in our human reasoning, we take pride in the fact we did it our way and look how easy our life is as a result. Oh my goodness, how do you break that, that three-corded rope? How do you break that? But we have to. We must if we're going to enter the land of promise. Let's move on down to verse 19. And it says, We journeyed from Horeb, and he's actually backing up now, he's giving some earlier history. We journeyed from Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, and went through the entire great and awesome wilderness that you saw by way of the Amorite mountain, as Adonai our God commanded us. And we came until Kadesh Barnea, An insight here. There are two things I find in the Bible that are called great and awesome. Gedol vahanora. Here we see it's the wilderness. But God himself is called Gedol vahanora, great and awesome. There are many examples of this, but uh, one of them is in Deuteronomy 7 verse 21. You shall not be in dread of them, for Adonai your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. You know that song, our God is an awesome God? Well, the wilderness is a great and awesome wilderness. And what is the purpose of the wilderness? Again, it's a place where God takes us to die. Yeshua said, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself. In other words, his human reasoning and his, his love of comfort. He must take up his cross, that's an instrument of death, and follow me. And as Bonhoeffer said, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. And if you are not willing to die to your own ways, to your own thinking, to your own human logic, to your addiction to comfort and ease, if you're not willing to die to that, well, you just need to spend some more time in the wilderness until you're good and dead. We all have more dying to do. But um, it's only through dying that we can begin to experience a resurrection life. There's no resurrection on this side of death. Only on the other side. Well, let's continue. We were left off in verse 19. So verse 20. Then I said to you, you have come until the Amorite mountain that Adonai, our God, gives us. See, Adonai, your God, has placed the land before you. Go up and possess, as Adonai, God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear, and do not lose resolve. Don't be afraid. And, and this next word about don't lose resolve is va'al techat. Techat, tav chet. That word really means instead of. So when he says, don't be afraid and don't instead of, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But when you really pick it apart and break it down and analyze it, it makes all kinds of sense. Because when you operate in fear, you will always do something wrong instead of what is right. You'll do your will instead of God's will. And so we are not to be afraid. And if we're not afraid, we will not do something instead of what God wants us to do. So it's not to yirah, not to be afraid, and we're not to tachet, We're not to instead of. Because fear will always cause us, if we give in to it, <clears throat> to do our way instead of God's. Verse 22, all of you approached me and said, let's send some men ahead of us and let them spy out the land and bring word back to us, the road on which we should ascend and the cities to which we should come. The idea was good in my eyes. So I took from you 12 men, one man for each tribe. Oh, don't you know, Moses must have wished that he had not listened to them, said, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to go on a cross and, and conquer the land. But he sent in 12 spies. And verse 24, they turned and ascended the mountain, came until the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They took in their hands from the fruit of the land and brought it down to us. They brought back word to us and said, good is the land that Adonai our God gives us. And if only they'd stopped there, everything had been fine. They went on. Verse 26, Moses says, but you Did not wish to ascend. Second, and you rebelled against the word of Adonai, your God. And third, you murmured in your tents. You didn't want to go up. Seemed too difficult. Seemed too dangerous. Oh, our wives and children, they'll be killed if we go up there. Isn't it amazing how fear turns us into prophets? Prophets. When we become afraid of something, suddenly we can see everything that will happen if we follow through and go into this scary thing God asks us to do. We all begin to prophesy, we're all going to die. Well, something interesting here. What we fear concerning the land will befall us in the wilderness. They didn't want to go into the land because we'll all die. So what did they do in the wilderness? They all died. Whereas if they'd gone through and conquered their fear, they would have all lived. Be careful what you're afraid of. Be careful about feeding your fears. Because God may say, okay, if that's what you're giving your fear to, if that's the God you worship, then I'll let him take control of you. What I mean by that is this. The only thing in scripture we're told to fear is God himself. And if you give your fear to anything other than God, you have elevated that thing to God. Because you're giving to that thing something that belongs only to God. And in this case, they feared the land. They feared the dangers of the land. They feared death in the land. What they did, they took their own imaginations and elevated them up to God's word. They put God's promises away and put their imaginations in its place. So God said, okay, that's what you imagine happening to you? Great. You're not going into the land. But what you imagine the land doing to you, it'll happen to you here in the wilderness. Over the next 38 years, the people every day were occupied in burying those who were dying. We need to be so careful that we don't take what God wants and and replace it with what we want. Because we don't know what to want. And He does. He's our creator. He knows what's best for us. If only we could have faith in Him and trust Him, what a fruitful and wonderful life we would have. But you did not wish to ascend. By the way, that word want, that wish, it's an interesting word, it's the word ava, Aleph, Beit, hey. It's the word to want or to desire something. And um, we, uh, I just find the word interesting. Let me show you what it looks like in Hebrew. It's Aleph, Beit. These are the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. They spell the word av, father. And then the third letter is the word which is just breath. And it represents the experience of God's Spirit. And you know, when we want what the Father wants, we will experience his breath in our lives. We truly will. You can almost think of this as the Father's breath. Oh, if only we could replace our own will with his. If we could submit our will to choose his will. Even Yeshua had to do this. When he was facing crucifixion, he said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's why we're all here today, worshiping this wonderful God, loving his son, submitting to the lordship of his son, and being disciples of our Messiah, Yeshua. Yeshua wants us to live a life like His. And if we will, we have to die to our way of doing things and learn to say yes to His way, even if it's scary. Well, you did not ava to ascend, and you rebelled against the word of Adonai your God. You murmured in your tents and said, Because of Adonai's hatred for us, did he take us out of the land of Egypt. How do you like that? Look what fear does. It takes truth and turns it upside down on its head. Before, they were singing about how God brought them out of Egypt because he loved them. And now that they're afraid, God brought them out of Egypt because he hated them. And he brought us out, uh, he hated us, and he took us out of the land of Egypt, to deliver us into the hand of the Amorite, to destroy us. To where shall we ascend? Our brothers have melted our hearts, saying, A people greater and taller than we, cities great and fortified to the heavens, and even children of giants have we seen there. Then I said to you, Do not be broken, and do not fear them. Adonai your God who goes before you, he shall make war for you like everything he did for you in Egypt. Before your eyes and in the wilderness as you have seen that Adonai your God bore you as a man carries his son. God doesn't hate you. He bears you as a man carries his son. Picture a father carrying his infant son. He's not going to allow anything to happen to his son. But we don't trust what God says. We instead trust what we see and what we think and what we hear rather than trusting the word of God, a God who cannot lie. And he bore you as a man carries a son on the entire way that you traveled until you arrived at this place. Yet in this matter, you do not believe in Adonai, your God. Some of the saddest words in the Torah... Verse 33, who goes before you on the way to seek out for you a place for you to encamp, with fire by night to show you the road that you should travel, with a cloud by day. But Adonai heard the sound of your words, and he was incensed, he was angry, he was hot, and he swore, saying, If even a man of these people, this evil generation, shall see the good land that I swore to give to your forefathers, except for Caleb, son of Yafuna, he shall see it. To him shall I give the land on which he walked. And to his children, because he followed Adonai wholeheartedly. With me as well, Adonai became angry. That Moses is saying, God became angry with me because of you, saying, you too shall not come there. Joshua, son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall come there. Strengthen him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your small children, of whom you said they will be taken captive, and your children who did not know good from evil this day, they will come there. To them shall I give it, and they shall possess it. As for you... Turn yourselves around and journey to the wilderness toward the Sea of Reeds." Why did Caleb and Joshua get to go into the land? Because they were the only two of the twelve spies who said, Come on, guys, we can do this. Let's trust God. Look what he's done so far. Let's go take this land, this wonderful land, this land of promise. We can do this thing. They lived. The other ten spies died almost immediately. And then an entire wicked older generation from 20 years old and up died in the wilderness over the following 38 years. So what did the people do? In verse 41 says, And you spoke up and said to me, We have sinned to Adonai. We shall go up and do battle according to everything that Adonai our God has commanded us. Every man of you girded his weapons of war, and you were ready to ascend the mountain. So you think God would be pleased. They've all repented now, but they haven't repented. They still have not chosen God's will. What they've done is that they've realized, oh, this is going to be more painful, and we want to avoid pain. They left Egypt because they wanted to avoid pain. Then they wanted to go back to Egypt to avoid pain. And now that they came up to the the Jordan and heard the report of the spies, they decided we don't want to go in there, and that's to avoid pain. Then when God says, well, you're all going to die here, oh, well, let's go in now to avoid pain. Their M.O. was pain avoidance, not obedience. And though it may look the same, whereas before they were not ready to go into the land, but now they are, it may look like obedience now, but it isn't. It's simply pain avoidance. It's not wanting to do God's will. It's still wanting to do mine because I think I know what's best for me. You know, when we read this, a thought came to my mind. If we refuse to follow God into the unknown, the known will become hateful to us. They didn't want to follow God into the unknown, into the land of promise. But then when they realized they would have to stay in the wilderness, in the known, all of a sudden they didn't want it anymore. It became hateful to them. And they continued to complain about the wilderness for the next 38 years as they died there. Oh my goodness. We have to realize that the unknown is unknown only to us. But the unknown is known to God, the one who loves us and carries us as a father carries a son. We don't have to know everything he knows. All we have to know is his heart. All we have to know is that he loves us and if we follow him, our life will be filled with joy and adventure and success and victory. Pain avoidance equals, does not equal obedience to God. Pain avoidance does not equal obedience to God. And I know what it's like for most of us. We do this dance. We want to do what God wants, but we want to avoid pain. We're always dancing around and making ourselves miserable in the process. Can I challenge you not to worry about imagined pain in your future? Can I just challenge you that by avoiding what you perceive to be future pain, you're actually making life more painful for yourself? Can I challenge you that the pain that God does ordain for you is doable, it's endurable, and it's beneficial? we fear pain way too much, and we fear God way too little. If we had a good, healthy fear and awe of God, and if the only thing we we, we truly dreaded was disappointing Him, we'll be fine. And we'll be able to go into the land and stay there. So we continue on, and let's go to Let's read a bit further, verse 41. Uh, Oh, we read 41, 42. Adonai said to me, tell them, do not ascend and do not do battle, for I am not among you, so that you not be struck down before your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you did not listen. You rebelled against the mouth of Adonai, and you were willful and climbed the mountain. The Amorite who dwell on that mountain went out against you and pursued you as the bees would do. They struck you in Seir until Hormah. Then you retreated and wept before Adonai, and Adonai did not listen to your voice, and he did not hearken to you. You dwelt in Kadesh for many days, as many days as you dwelt. One of the things that I've come to realize is that God pretty much ceases to speak to those who will not obey. We'll see this a little bit later in our portion as well. He just doesn't listen. He just won't listen to people who refuse to obey him. Another thing, too, uh, I'm recording this on a Friday morning on, on July 16th. And, um, in two days, on the 18th, is Tishba Av, the 9th of Av. And it's a, a fast day on the Jewish calendar. And it's the day in which Solomon's temple was destroyed and it was the day in which Herod's temple was destroyed hundreds of years later. It's a, a day in which, throughout Jewish history, horrible things happened. And um, it's a day of weeping and fasting. And we have a special a global prayer day coming up on on Sunday on Tishbaav. And it just so happens that almost every year this Torah portion about the faithlessness of the Israelites is read during the week of Av or are very close to it. And Jewish tradition teaches that this event where the Israelites refused to listen to God, but listen to the report of the spies instead, took place on Tishbaav, another horrible event. Well, let's go on to chapter 2. We returned and journeyed to the wilderness toward the Sea of Reeds, as I spoke to me, and we circled Mount Seir for many days, which is probably the greatest understatement in the Bible. We circled Mount Seir for many days. You know what many days means? 38 years. They circled Mount Seir for 38 years. Ados Nai said to me, saying, Enough of your circling this mountain. Turn yourselves northward. Here is the verse. Enough of your circling this mountain. Turn yourselves northward. That word northward is the word zaphona in Hebrew. Zaphona. And what's interesting is that the word Zephon, first three letters here, means hidden. Hidden. When you add the letter He to the end of a word, it means toward. Okay? Zaphon means hidden. Zephonah means hidden word. Hidden word is a Hebrew catchphrase or, or term for the north because the surprises and sometimes the enemies of Israel came from the north. But for whatever reasons, we can read this, turn yourselves hiddenward. The rabbis read this, as do I, that God is saying, enough of just circling the mountain. You may think this is normal. It isn't. It's familiar. It isn't normal. And now it's time for you to head towards the hidden. I think most believers, not all, but most, they spend their lives as believers involved only in the physical. And they just keep circling the same mountain, doing the same routine, doing the same religious activities, doing the same rituals. Not that these things are bad, but they do them over and over and over. They think, well, this is what the redeemed life looks like. God says, Enough of this. You need to move towards the unknown. Move towards the hidden. Begin your adventure with me. Begin to learn to live the spiritual life. This word zaphona, this word zaphon, hidden, is found in in Exodus 2, verses 2 and 3. Zaphon is something that is uh, very closely tied to Moses' birth. And it's talking about his mother, uh, Jacobet. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she zaphoned. She hid him for three months. But when she could zaphone him no longer, she could hide him no longer, she got him uh, a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And I love Psalm 27.5. Where the psalmist writes, "For in the day of trouble, he will zaphone me; he will hide me in his sukkah, his tabernacle, his sukkah." There are several different words for hide, to conceal, but zaphone is one that's attached to the north, and I think it's the one that's chosen here, because God wants us to move into the hidden, into the spiritual. Move on down now to verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. The days that we traveled from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed Zered Brook were 38 years, until the end of the entire generation. The men of war, catch that, men of war? The Nashimilchamah, men of war, from the midst of the camp, as Adonai swore to them. Even the hand of Adonai was on them to confound them from amid the camp until their end. So it was that the men of war finished dying from the midst of the people. How sad that these men of war refused to go to war. And I've met men of war. They're equipped for warfare. They're called to warfare. Uh, They're ordered to do warfare. But they won't do warfare. And men of war who refuse to go to the war are a detriment to their children. Because for their children, their entry into the land of promise was delayed by 38 years. Are you a man of war who refuses to go to war? Are you called to do spiritual battle and you refuse to do it? Are you... Uh, been ordered by God to walk into the unknown and do the battle there you need to do, but you refuse to, you're hurting your kids. You're delaying their growth. Men of war who refuse to go to war lose their reward. Everything they had suffered through and everything they'd been brought out of Egypt for, they lost. They did not get to experience the men of war who refuse to go to war will die anyway. They all died in the wilderness. So you know what, if I'm going to die anyway, why not die doing what God's told me to do? Why not go into battle? It's a land of promise, it's a land of battle, but without battle there's no victory. But you know what? When you realize God is your God, He goes before you and He delivers your enemies into your hand, who fears warfare. And we should be strong and courageous to go into the spiritual battles God has for us, because if we're walking with Him, we cannot lose. But if we live in fear and in dread, we've lost already. In chapter 3 again, and uh, at the end of chapter 2, and also in chapter 3, God again, in Moses again, I should say, is talking about Sihon and Og, going into great detail. But finally, when the people are ready to cross over, you have two tribes, Reuben and Gad, and we look at chapter 3, verse 12. and we possess that land at that time, the land of Sihon and Og, from Aroer, which is by Arnon Brook, and half of the mountain of Gilead, and its cities did I give to the Reubenite and the Gadite. And you read about this back at the end of Numbers. Because after the Israelites had conquered Sihon and Og, which again represent human reasoning and addiction to comfort, Reuben and Gad looked and said, you know what, this is really nice land over here for cattle and we have a lot of cattle. Human reasoning told them, we should just stay here, not cross the Jordan and take our inheritance there where God has promised, but take it here. It makes sense. Also, it's already conquered, so it's easy. Think about this for a minute. I know people who conquered Sihon and Og in their lives and after conquering them they took their place. They did a great battle against something that they struggled with in their faith. They did a great battle against something that was very comfortable and fleshly to them, maybe an addiction. And after they got victory over these things, they relaxed. And once again, sink right back into human reasoning and addiction to comfort. This is tragic. And what Gideon, or what Reuben and Gad did is tragic. And then as you read in Numbers, though God allowed Moses to give them their inheritance on the wrong side of the Jordan, the tribe of Manasseh is torn in half. Half of them think, well, if it's okay for them to live over there, I think I would have lived there too. If Reuben and Gad had obeyed God's direction, Manasseh would not have been ripped into. Oh, we need to be so careful that we, after conquering Sihonanog, don't become Sihonanog and damage our testimony and damage the lives of those who look up to us. Now then let's just move right on down to verse 21, the last verse of our Torah portion. I commanded Joshua at that time saying, Your eyes have seen everything that Adonai your God has done to these two kings, to Sihon and Og. So will Adonai do to all the kings where you cross over. You shall not fear them, for Adonai your God, he shall wage war for you. All spiritual warfare follows the pattern of Sihon and Og. They become the pattern. Because all spiritual warfare is a matter of overcoming our own human reasoning, overcoming our own addiction to comfort. And what God did to Sihon and Og here, he's telling, uh, Moses is telling Joshua, you saw what God did. This is the pattern. This is how he's going to deal with all future enemies in the same way. And, uh, and for me, in every step I take forward into the unknown, in obedience to God, there's always a part of my human reasoning that says, this probably isn't a good idea. And there's a part of my flesh that says, oh, do we have to move now? Can I just sit here a while longer? But hopefully, by the, the age I've reached, I begin to realize that the benefits of following through and not leaning to my own understanding and not leaning upon my own desire for physical comfort, I discover the adventure that's right around the corner is so worth it. It's so worth it. And if I stay put and do things my own way, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss the adventure God has for me. We skipped over one here. And so let's back up to that. In Deuteronomy 2.17, I apologize for getting this out of order, but in 2.17, It says, Adonai spoke to me, saying, and that Adonai spoke to me, in Hebrew, is vaidber Adonai Eli, vaidber, and he spoke, Adonai Eli, to me. And there's an interesting footnote in the Kolmish that says this, the sages note two things. Verse 17, which says that God spoke to Moses, is juxtaposed with the verse 16, which says that the last stragglers of the generation died, implying that the two are related. Also, the word and he spoke which implies the intense face-to-face communication from God that was unique to Moses was not used, now get this, that word was not used in the Torah since the failure of the spies. Over and over and over and over and over in the Torah, you you, you read the words, And God spoke to Moses, and God spoke to Moses, and God spoke to Moses, but that word, And he spoke, does not occur between the failure of the spies, back in the book of Numbers, to this verse here. Why? Verse 16, so it was that the men of war finished dying from the midst of the people. It's like God ceased to speak to those who will not obey. And while there's this kind of rebellion, God remains silent. It's a powerful insight, and I think the sages are on to something there. i want to close with two things. Psalm 81, wonderful psalm. We're not going to read all of it, but... Uh, I would like to read verses 10 through 16. I, Adonai, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice and Israel were not ava, there's that word ava, were not willing to obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices so I let them do things their own way. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. I would quickly do that. Those who who hate Adonai would pretend obedience to him, and their season will be for an age. But I would feed you with the fat That's the chalev, that's the word milk, the land that flows with chalev and davash, with milk and honey. I would feed you with the chalev, the fat of the weak, and with the honey, the davash from the rock, I would satisfy you. God is wanting to give us the good things he has for us more than we want to receive them. And yet we're so fearful that he's going to withhold something from us. And we're we're so fearful that he somehow does not have our best interests at heart. So as Moses is pleading with the people of Israel not to make the mistakes of the past, I just want to plead with you and I'm encouraging my own heart at whatever time I have left on this earth, let's go full throttle ahead with God. Let's open up wide the gates of faith and let's trust him especially in the uncertain and the uh, the days of the shaking of this world that I believe lie ahead of us. And um, let's let the world see what faith looks like. And so when Messiah returns, and we're still here, that he will find faith on the earth. One of the things I meant, meant to do at the beginning of the teaching was to thank Tim Pell for filling in for me last week while we were in Texas. is a wonderful job. I so enjoyed listening to it. And um, he brought the teaching from Numbers 33, Numbers chapter 33. And he referred to a devotional that I wrote over a period of about six weeks about the 42 encampments are listed in Numbers 33. Israel spent 40 years at 42 encampments. And so uh, Tim has taken this and formatted it beautifully. And it's available for you to print out for free. And uh, I sent out the link for that and the Thursday update yesterday. And uh, so if you didn't get that, you can just email me at uh, mail at com, And I'll send you that link so you can print it out. And also, if you want a, uh, a version that you can hold in your hand as a little easier, a little more a little portable. It's also going to be available on Amazon. I, this sound, Amazon.com, this sounds like a shameless plug. It isn't because uh, you can get it for free. But if you do want one of these, uh, this is a, an advanced copy that I'm going to be marking up and tweaking and making sure I chase all the little typo gremlins out of it the best I can. Uh, this will be available probably within the week. So uh, 40 years at 42 camps. And uh, I really enjoy doing this, and uh, I think it, it's a devotional that will be a blessing to you as well. So get your free copy, and, but that'll be available as well if that's something you want. No pressure. So with that, let's close in prayer. Our Father and King, thank you for being our Father, for carrying us as a Father carries his Son. And forgive us, Father, for all the times we... Don't feel your arms supporting us, and we doubt the direction you're carrying us. For all the times we want to do things our way, for the times we're willful and rebellious, fearful and, and broken, and decide to do things our way instead of your way. Father, help us to learn the lessons of the wilderness. Help us to learn the lessons that are being taught to us here in Deuteronomy, Lessons that you repeat over and over and over, hoping that we will learn them, apprehend them, and practice them. Father, make us the people you want us to be. How many times I've prayed that for myself and for my my brothers and sisters at Beth Takum and for the redeemed community around the world. Make us the people you want us to be not the kind of people we want to be. And Father, will give you praise and glory for it all. In the precious name of Yeshua, our Messiah and Savior, amen.